here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Once again, don't hold millions of Americans, hundreds of thousands of workers hostage. Open up the government and let's continue the discussions. Well, holy crap. I mean, that sounds serious, right? Wow. You know, if you didn't have context for what was going on, what would your impression of the country be right now if that was the first? Let's say that this is like the, the sequel to Encino Man. And, and at the end of, I actually forget how the movie ended, but let's say at the end of it, he, he went back down. All right. And uh, in, in the sequel of Encino Man, he, he just pops up and he's like, oh, and you get that dose from, from Chuck Schumer. Oh, man. Well, what, what's going on now? Well, what happened? And if this is you, I, I have very good news for you. Very good news for you. We are... Currently consulting Miguel Gorbachev on how to more efficiently organize our breadlines. And we are anticipating that by Monday, it is Friday right now, by Monday, uh, we do anticipate that we're actually going to be able to reduce the wait time of the breadlines uh, from a matter of days to, to merely hours. So it's all good. Great news. Great news here in the United States. Uh, more efficient breadlines. Either that or we, I don't know, have the best economy in a generation. One or the other. I mean, it's kind of like, when you take a look at a lot of what goes on in news, a lot of what, and this is even true of other things in life, outside of news, politics, whatever. Yeah, I mean, this stuff is serious, right? We unfortunately do have to live in, in the realm of reality where Chuck Schumer has significant influence in politics. And yes... And, and this wouldn't be necessarily an Encino Man situation, but if you, let's just say, woke up from 10 years ago, Nancy Pelosi is uh, Speaker of the House, uh, and uh, she hadn't been for a while, so she's back. So what's, uh, what's old is now older and new again. And uh, we, have a, we have a dancing queen, but it, it, it isn't actually ABBA, not ABBA, uh, but, in, but instead a, a Democratic Socialist who's going to uh, be starring on uh, primetime television. On Sunday, yeah, I mean, the, it's all in how you, you you wrap it together, and all in how you you look at it, right? I mean, in the South, people might look at these individuals and go, "Oh, bless their hearts," because here is the truth of the matter. St- take a step back for a moment. Take a step back. What actually matters most in life? I mean, really. A lot of times, we get bogged down in the news cycle. We get mad and frustrated when we hear. Just nonsense from Schumer and company. But is that really what's most effectual in our lives? Get back to that here in a second. It is uh, Brian Mudd, your friend from West Palm Beach. I host the Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach. Then I host the Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami. And I am the uh, father of furry cats uh, that are wonderful, by the way. Uh, Wonderful cats. And uh, I am always honored to, to be here uh, guest hosting for The Great One, which, by the way, fear not, fear not, The Great One himself, Mark Levin, will be back on Monday to, uh, to share his brilliance with all of us once again. So this is the end of guest host Palooza for now. 
Now, getting back to the what matters most in our lives, it, it isn't what is going on in the political cycle today. It's not the partial government shutdown. It really isn't. It, that's the teachable moment I was talking quite a bit about tomorrow. Touch on a couple of those points again. But it's your family, right? It, it, it's how you're doing in your personal life against your goals, and it's security, right? It's security. If you take a look, actually, at what really is going on in this country right now, it's pretty darn good, isn't it? We do have the best economy in the generation. We do have far better security than we've had. You ready for this? At any point in recorded American history. I know it doesn't seem that way or feel that way. It's amazing what happens when you have an administration that really makes a concerted effort to try to crack down on crime that supports our police and is uh, cracking down stuff on the southern border. I've got some information for you that is probably going to surprise you about overall crime rates in this country. And uh, there also is a little wrinkle in there about gun ownership as well. We'll touch on that a little bit later. So in general, security is dramatically improved. The economy, the best in a generation. So is it really the, the politics of the day? This is where you take the step back and you realize the entire reason that we put so much emphasis on our government is why? Well, because we want them to be in the backdrop of our society, letting us do everything we possibly can to be successful. That's where you hear the cliche, there's more that unites us than divides us. But it really is true at a, at a core level, right? I mean, even the most ardent leftist, do they want their kids to fail? Do they want them to be uneducated? Do they want a crappy life? You know, most people are, are not, uh, you know, people that don't pay their bills and, and don't care, right? I mean, for the most part, regardless of politics, most of us get up and go about our day the same way. And we have very similar goals, just very different ideas on how to get there. So here we are, and... Oh, by the way, on the way to the recession, we find out, hey, take a look at the, the uh, job growth here. Holy cow, 312 jobs, 1,000 jobs uh, in the, the government jobs report today. I guess we're not heading towards a, a recession. The whiz-bang smart guys on the left were wrong again about that. Which, by the way, just as an aside, the economic wonk in me is highly annoyed because, yes, the news cycle yesterday was extremely busy. I didn't talk about it. But anybody who really wanted to know what was going to happen with the jobs number this morning – had an answer yesterday. If you took a look at the uh, ADP private sector jobs report, it was the biggest of the year. Biggest of the year to end the year. And what we see, oh, we, we have the biggest jobs growth of the year uh, to, to end the year when it, uh, the government number came in today. So there actually was an indication there anyway. Uh, and clearly, uh, the, the message that we're in a recession was not received by those that actually generate stuff in the economy. So let's take a look at what matters most? What's really going on right now? Over the past year, let's see, we, we've, we have the best economic growth in 13 years. We've achieved record low unemployment rates for black adults. You know, the, 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 the people that Donald Trump hates because he's a racist. We've achieved record low unemployment rates for Hispanic adults. And, and you know, that, that is uh, also, you know, he, he doesn't necessarily uh, 
hate Hispanics quite as much. But, yeah, I mean, he, he still, he, he don't want them to get too ahead too much. But, you know. Uh, and then record low unemployment rates for foreign-born Americans. Record low unemployment rates for Native Americans. And the war against women is not going so well either. Because, yeah, we, we've also achieved a record low unemployment rate for women. Isn't that what really matters here? Aside from the, oh my gosh, it's a partial government shutdown. And, oh yeah, we've had the best year-over-year increase in net take-home pay in 32 years. By the time you factor in the 3.2% growth in, in wages over the past year, and you add in the benefit of the tax cut. Best increase in net take-home pay in 32 years. Now, remove Donald Trump from the equation. You think any person on the left would rather have any of those things go away? Would they rather not have a job, not have more money in their pocket, not have better prospects, but have, say, Hillary Clinton as president? In fact, that's something I want you to do. I want you to ask one of your your lefty friends if they would take that trade right now. You hate Donald Trump. You want to impeach him, right? Okay. So, would you rather not have a job, be on unemployment, not have a, 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 an increase in your wages, your kids not set up for a good future? Would you rather that but have the politician of choice? And in that moment, maybe, maybe, can begin to break through. Because, again, there are two sides to stories in, in one side of facts. And this is the best economy in a generation. We have a president who is two weeks into a partial government shutdown and is holding his ground on a cornerstone issue that he ran on and was elected on. And guess what? He is winning. Because one of the things I've been taking a look at, the politics of this, polling has been light because of the holidays, but uh, taking a look at uh, the aggregate of accredited polling with registered and likely voters over the past three weeks. Okay, so before we were into partial government shutdown mode and today, you know where President Trump's approval rating is? One point higher. One point higher. He's smart that way, too, and I don't think he would necessarily give up regardless of if it had dropped a point or three. But the bigger point is, and this makes perfect sense, it was a cornerstone issue that he was elected on. So naturally, his base is going to rally around him as he is fighting on that particular issue. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. Nothing to be surprised by. So as you continue to hear so many people in the media say, yeah, but Mitt Romney or, or, or yeah, but Susan Collins or these people are going to doesn't matter if they peel off because Donald Trump's not going to peel off. And in the meantime, remember the teachable moment. Adversity always presents opportunity. And the opportunity here is the civics lesson that is not taught in schools anymore. And that is that we do not wake up every day and, and have to check to see what our federal government is, is going to let us do for that day. We are born free in this country. We have liberty. The government works for us, not the other way around. With a quarter of the federal government furloughed, and I'm not saying this is ideal. Oh, my gosh, some of the hate mail I received yesterday. Are you saying that this is ideal and the, you know, the, that even the essential employees that are having to work right now should not get? No, I'm not saying that. But we are still seeing life go on with most Americans not seeing any impact whatsoever from the partial government shutdown 
two weeks later, we get the information that we came out of the end of last year with the best job growth that we've had. Record economy on our hands. Life goes on. And when I was talking about the economics of the federal government yesterday and putting it in real money terms to you, if you happen to miss that, we pay in employee salaries alone for the federal government total compensation $15,200 per household per year. $15,200. Now, do you personally feel like you get $15,200 worth of service out of them? Or as I was also illustrating, with a quarter of the federal government furloughed, let's just say that a quarter of the federal government was permanently furloughed. We would save $3,800 per year. That's the real cost to you and me per household, all right? Now, would you prefer to have $3,800 additional dollars, or would you rather not have that money to end the partial government shutdown to have the status quo government? And that's your get real moment here. People go, yeah, but, yeah, but, no, yeah, buts. This is our government. Ever since federal withholding, what happened? Well, we, we were just trained and conditioned that, that uh, you know, we, we get whatever the government doesn't take from us, right? Bull crap. Bull crap. We are beginning to see the view of the possible here with a president that has a backbone who's leading on an issue he ran on that keeps his promises and he's got the upper hand to do it. Why? Because he's in a position of strength because we have the best economy in a generation. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin. We told the president we needed the government open. He resisted. In fact, he said he'd keep the government closed for a very long period of time, months or even years. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to do with that clip from, uh, from, from Chucky there because, on one hand, I mean, can you necessarily take Chuck Schumer at face value? That was something he had to say coming out of the meeting earlier today with, with the president. He said that he will keep it shut down for, for months, day, week, months, years, years. Now, on one hand, it's Chuck Schumer. So, I mean, come on. On the other hand, we can all kind of kind of hear Donald Trump saying that, can't we? <laughs> I mean, absolutely. So, I, I don't know. I, I, true or false, it's a 50-50 on that one. I'm choosing now to, to look at things with the, uh, hey, it's, it's Friday, we have the best economy in a generation kind of lens. Not the, welcome to Breadline Radio, uh, because... Oh, my gosh, what are we going to do as we are trying to survive the squeeze? Two weeks into the partial government shutdown. So I, I'm not letting uh, the, the folks uh, like the Dancing Queen, who is proposing a uh, green deal with a 70% top tax rate. For, I'm not going to let that get to me, get me worked up, or the, the impeachment papers or the, the uh, nasty words that some people are saying and using about the president. Instead, I actually uh, tend to be a bit more optimistic about things. For example, I know a lot of people go, holy crap, we're in trouble politically. You know, if you have limited government conservative values over the longer run because millennials, they're, they're you know, leftist and everything. 
I don't necessarily view things always that way. You know, if you take a look at every generation, what's happened? Well, we, they've started out more liberal and they get more conservative as what? Well, you know, crazy things happen. Like, you know, they get jobs. They really work into careers. They have a family. They go, oh, wow, this is what it means to pay taxes. And, and uh, huh? They're taking that much? Really? And then they actually say, wow, okay, this is what prosperity looks like. See, the biggest issue that we had, biggest issue that we had uh, prior to the last year and a half economically is that you had the millennial generation come to age as adults in a crappy economy, in a crappy economy. And they wanted to believe hope and change, and then they bought hook, line, and sinker, you know, the hope and change message. And when the economy was still crappy under Barack Obama, they thought, wow, you know, I, I guess this is just tough. So we really do need the government to help us. They never dealt with prosperity. Now that they have dealt and, and can see prosperity, you think that people are necessarily going to want to embrace something that's worse than this? You know, somewhere along the way, once again, you, you take a look and you go, wow, I'm making more money. Wow. I have really good job prospects. I have a really good career path. Yeah, you know what I want to do? I want to blow it up and, and go... Uh, Go with the, the, the Green Deal. That sounds like a winner. See, I, I think this is a, a teachable moment. And the economy provides the opportunity for the president to lead, for us to learn, and for us to see that we don't need a quarter of the federal government for life to be pretty darn good for the most part. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. With a daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods, but what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickhouseLevin.com, that's BrickhouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. Mark Levin, the most passionate conservative on radio. Talk with him now at 877-381-3811. It's very hard to see how progress will be made unless they open up the government. Ah, thank you. You know, you know progress. Notice what progress is. Progress, progress means status quo government. You notice that? Without even blinking, without even blinking, it's Brian Mudd in for Mark Levin. Isn't that instructive? Think about this for a moment. So you have Chuck Schumer coming out of the uh, meeting with the president, and he is asked a question about well, progress in the meetings. Now, progress can mean any number of different things, right? Yes, progress can mean an end to the stalemate, but couldn't it also mean something different than 
we just go back to the government as it was before, perhaps without wall funding, which is certainly the these mainstream media status quo, certainly Chuck Schumer's status quo. The one question none of them will still ask, why is it, Chuck Schumer, that if you simply voted for today, the funding for the wall that you voted for in 2006, why is it that if you simply did that today, we wouldn't be having this conversation? See, that might be progress if you actually had a mainstream media that actually asked honest, intended questions rather than, was there progress? Which is naturally going back to the way government has been, which is, you know, just uh, growing, getting bigger, not securing the, the southern border to the specifications of who? Oh, not Donald Trump specifically, right? But actually the Border Patrol. Mm. Yeah, because you have the folks that are on the southern border that have asked for what? Oh, right. These resources to do their job better. Somewhere in the midst of it. That's not progress. See, if you're the Border Patrol, what would progress have been here today? Would progress have been Chuck Schumer coming out of that meeting happy going, yeah, we got what we wanted? You, you think they would view at the Border Patrol that as progress? Just going back to the way things are or happen? Or, or do you think the, the Border Patrol, the folks that put their lives on the line to protect our southern border, would have viewed progress being Donald Trump getting the funding he's looking for that's requested by the Border Patrol? You, you see how it's all in how you look at something. And when you have collusion, media, and somebody like Chuck Schumer who are on the same page, Progress means but one thing, status quo. Now, in this partial government shutdown that we're two weeks into, where very few Americans under almost any circumstances have felt any impact whatsoever, introduce the the, the concept. I was talking about the cost to your household yesterday and today uh, about federal employees, how much your net cost is for the, the employees and If you had to write a check, let's just say we got all of our income. We didn't have federal withholding. We had to write a check uh, to to pay the the federal bills. Do you think, as you would write a $3,800 check to go back to status quo government, to end the partial government shutdown, do you think you would think twice about that? Do Do you think you would ask questions about how that money is being spent, who these government employees necessarily are? What you're actually getting for that $3,800? You, you think you might be a little bit concerned about that? You, you think you might wonder, well, you know what? I, I could really use this for education for my kids or just to, to throw into the pile in, in the Treasury of the federal government without any answers? That's what's real. If we actually had zero-based budgeting, imagine that for a moment, having to justify everything at the federal government. I've introduced the concept, and I am really actually kind of serious about this. I really encourage a federal politician, if you are a representative in Congress, please somebody take me up on this one. It should be done. Somebody should should introduce legislation that would call for defunding any federal agency that at least one member of Congress cannot name, because we have 430 of them, and I am certain that there are federal government agencies that are not known by any member of Congress. But we pay for them at an average of $128,000 per. 
total compensation. And I, uh, I had some pretty hilarious emails um, and, and some tweets. And I will, by the way, I have a policy of trying to get back to everything that, that uh, didn't come to me with expletives attached. But I received some pretty hilarious ones just in, in skimming through things uh, last night and, and then again this morning. Uh, there, there are plenty of people that uh, obviously work for the federal government. I had some people actually identify that they work for the federal government. And, and the long and the short of it is, is basically eat, poo, and die. You know, how dare you? You know, and it's wrong. People, it, you know, they count on it. It's jobs and everything else. But but the one that I enjoyed the most, um, <laughs> there there are a few different people who questioned my numbers. The, the 128000 total compensation. Uh, and... Uh, a couple of people are asking me the, the source on it. I will tell you a source for numbers if I give them to you, if it actually is a source that's required. And you being a federal government employee, I, I might be slightly alarmed that you aren't aware that it's public record and that the source is the federal government, which happens to be the Bureau of Economic Analysis. So the source for that 128000 in total compensation is the federal government that you work for. Oh, by the way. Uh, so uh, that, that might be another reason why we have issues when we have federal government employees that don't realize the source for government information. Anybody else slightly alarmed by that? Now, the other thing that I think is a teachable moment in the real world. And again, I I said yesterday, and and it goes in in one ear and out the other. Or people just don't, I, I guess, if you're a federal government employee, think I'm being genuine when I say this. I do mean it with absolute sincerity. I, I hold no animus ubiquitously for any federal government employee. If that was the right thing for you to do for your family, for your career, uh, you know, and it's good good thing for it, great, more power to you. All right, this isn't about you. It's about the crappy politicians that created the crappy, bloated federal government that we have to pay for. I, I do not blame you. Uh, now, if you want to defend the crappy, bloated federal government and say that under any circumstance, the only answer is to continue the status quo government, yeah, then I'm going to challenge you because I think that's wrong. I think it's reprehensible that the average person who makes a gross income of $49,000 per year has to pay without any question whatsoever for a $128,000 employee. I, I, and again, the federal employees, they work for who? Well, well they work for, for us. They work for details, right? Uh, and so in the grand scheme of who, who's calling the shots here, well, if we don't earn money and, and we don't have that tax by the federal government, there's any men, money in the federal government to pay the salary or to pay the, the benefits that are received by that particular person, your position in the federal government. I mean, details. Oh, by the way, the, the government has nothing that isn't handed to it. Uh, I had one person that said, yeah, but uh, federal employees pay taxes. Well, I never said anything otherwise. It doesn't change the dynamic any, right? <laughs> I mean, and again, 82% of spending at the federal level is optional. Optional. See, the only thing that is absolutely required defense and some basic infrastructure in this this country generously applying all the federal spending that goes into that constitutionally mandated category we're only talking about 18 percent uh so you know but you go oh these people have families and everything else yeah yeah you know what so does the average person working in the private sector that has no guarantees 
See, one of the things that becomes really clear when you hear federal government employees complaining about this adversity is what? Reality check. See, you and I, working in the private sector, working in the real world, do we ever have a guarantee one day to the next necessarily? No. If a company goes under, that could be it. All right? I mean, circumstances change. If somebody can do your job better, you might be out of a job. Any number of things, that's the real world. But in the government, it doesn't work that way, does it? No. I mean, yeah, a heck of a time trying to get fired in many cases. And to the extent that you're dealing with adversity, it's when Donald Trump says you're not going to get another raise next year. Oh. So, yeah, the federal government employees. Hello. This is the real world where there are no guarantees, where, you know, you're not entitled to a job, let alone a job that pays total compensation. That is in the neighborhood of two and a half times what the average private sector person is earning that's paying the taxes that allows you to earn that total compensation that you're then supposed to provide services to. That's the real world. Another part of this education. Let's go to Scott. And Staten Island. Scott, go. Hey, hey Scott. Brian, how you doing, pal? All good. Oh, good. Uh, i got to ask you a question. I actually a couple. First, I want to ask, uh, how did this Cortez <laughs> make it to where she is? Because, you know, she wants to have a 70, uh, what, the, the tax, 70% tax. Okay, now, I live in New York City. Uh, you know, 70% tax. Uh, and then you add the other little... Uh, here and there taxes, you know, uh, that's the federal, and then you get the state taxes. So what are people going to come home with 12% of their check? That's number one. And number two, uh, Brian, the disrespect that these new people coming in are showing to our president is just unbelievable, and I just can't understand how they get away with it. I mean, can he, can he summon them to the White House and, like, you know, tell them, you know, uh, can he say anything to them? It's unbelievable. Well, I mean, there there are a couple of things there, Scott. I mean, uh, on one hand, yes, I hear you. I understand. I, I agree conceptually with what you're saying about how outrageous some of the stuff is. Uh, none the least of which is the, the new Green Deal proposed by the Dancing Queen uh, that uh, does have a top tax rate of 70% attached to it. Now, this is something that we do have to take seriously to the extent that you are having news media pay attention to it and people are going to be presented with it. So it is helpful to be informed and and to also be aware that, hey, you know, you have to be diligent in information yourself, but also with others that you might come across, especially someone like you, where I imagine you're an endangered species. Uh, so but, but the bigger issue about civility and everything else, um, I would like to think I'm not a naive person. And I still don't think that plays. In, in the grand scheme of calling the president the the MF word, I'm still thinking that for the average American, that's not resonating. I, I'm still thinking that the and this is where prosperity matters again too. One of the, the I opened by saying, uh, you know, what matters most to you? The economy, security, your family. Ultimately, regardless of politics, for the overwhelming majority of Americans, that's really what matters most. And so in a good economy where people are being uh, you know, rewarded for their efforts, they have opportunity and they see it, 
do people want to attain more success only to find out that they get penalized that much more for attaining success? Not generally, right? I mean, so in in the grand scheme of all this, I'm not sure that you necessarily have to overly concern yourself with the masses hearing stuff like 70% tax rate for upper income earners and buying onto it. Yeah, the Occupy Wall Street crowd is going to be there, but they already were, right? Yes, we have to be aware that Bernie Sanders is gaining traction and, and that wing. We have Acacia Cortez, the dancing queen. I mean, she's being taken seriously. But, but is that mainstream America? No. And this, as long as we use it for what it is, which is an opportunity, which is a teachable moment, uh, you know, it can be something that illustrates the point about what you want to be aligned with. Do you want to be aligned with someone who has enacted policies that have allowed you to be successful, that allows you to have the best year-over-year increase in in that take-home pay in 32 years? Would you rather the policy that has allowed a record low unemployment rate for women, a a record low unemployment rate for black adults, a record low unemployment rate for Hispanic adults, a record low unemployment rate for foreign-born Americans, a record low unemployment rate for Native Americans? That is the Donald Trump economy, right? So these are the conversations we have. Uh, the, The mistake that we often will make Uh, As conservatives, finding the most close-minded liberal that we can find and trying to bang our head against that wall. Instead, we got to find people that are open-minded to information and deal with facts and in the arena of ideas. Everything I just laid out to you is a fact. It's all happened over the course of the past year. So it doesn't matter if it's Donald Trump uh, by name that somebody likes or doesn't like. It's the policy ultimately that's effectual. And do you think we'll, we'll be better or worse off? Will the economy be better or worse off if the top tax rate is 70 percent? And you can ask that person who's open minded. Do you think do you think that people will be more or less inclined to try to be more successful to earn more money if they were taxed at 70 percent? What would that do to incentive? What would you do? Would, would you want to work harder if you got taxed at 70 percent or would, would you not want to work as hard? It, it, you, there's a way to illustrate points. And, and these these are teachable moments. I'm Brian Mudd and for the great one. Mud Lovin. President Trump is erratic, unreliable, and sometimes even irrational. In some, President Trump is a terrible negotiator. Given the unfortunate traits that reside in our president, I understand Leader McConnell's reluctance to get involved. But in truth, they are all the more reason for him getting involved. love it he's erratic he's terrible he doesn't know how to negotiate he's a moron i mean we've heard all these things right i mean it's like what does that make you chuck how bad do you suck at life at that point if donald trump is you know like a a moron if he is terrible at negotiating if he's just everything he touches sucks i I mean he's managed to moron his way and suck his way into having what oh uh a $10 $10 billion per year business operating in dozens of countries. So, yeah, he moroned his way into a multinational enterprise producing $10 billion per year 
and he's personally worth several billions of dollars. What the heck's wrong with you, man? <laughs> you are really, really crappy in life. If that, that's Trump. And, and I love how people like to uh, try to, uh, to, to play that angle. What ultimately does, does that say about everybody else? Now, aside from that from, for, for just a moment, let's think about this one. He also managed to moron his way into becoming president of the United States as well. He, he's so terrible there. He managed to be terrible at, at negotiation, terrible at, but, but he is the president. So I say again, what does that say about you, Chuck? But more importantly, what are you saying about the country, Chuck? You notice the, the derision, the anger, the hatred? Is that really about Donald Trump or is that really about you? About the country. I I don't think that's going to play well. Have a hunch on this one. I'm Brian Mudd. And for the great one, Mark Levin. Do you wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit. But most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now, you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouse, L-E-V-I-N.com, offer code LEVIN. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. this president when he's had two of the most successful years that any president has had in modern history. The only reason they want to come after this president is because they know that they can't beat him. They can't beat him when it comes to a policy debate, and they're not going to beat him when it comes to 2020. Uh, They have no solutions for America. People are sick and tired of playing politics. They want them to come to Washington and actually work with the president to get Mm -hmm. something done. Holy cow. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, I mean, she's pretty amazing. She has a way of just laying down the, the, the boom there. That was to, to Fox and Friends uh, this morning. But, I mean, wow, could it have been put any better and in fewer words? What is this really about? <laughs> what is all of this really about? Well, it has been about Donald Trump and, and what can we do to take him out even before he became president. And nothing has changed. If you take a look at the platform uh, uh, right now, what, what is it for Democrats? Can can even an elected official uh, for the Democratic Party articulate what they actually would like to see happen, what they stand for? Now, uh, again, if you're going to be on the opposition of this president, you are also on the opposition of the best economy in a generation. Record low unemployment rates again for black adults, Hispanic adults, foreign-born Americans, Native Americans, and for women. 
So you're on the opposition of all of those policies. You would have to be necessarily if you want policy that is different than what we have right now in the United States of America. I, I, it just is. You know, again, two sides of stories, one side of facts. I mean, details are the, the kind of important here. And uh, hey, there it is, Brian Mudd, your friend in South Florida. I uh, I do not hang out in an underground bunker. Uh, I actually am in a very venerable building that once had the uh, roof ripped off during a hurricane, uh, about seven feet above sea level. Uh, in West Palm Beach, I do a morning show uh, on WJNO West Palm Beach, then a show for WYOD in Miami. And it is always an honor and a pleasure to uh, be guest hosting for the great one, Mark Levin. And, and absolutely fear not, we will all be graced with his brilliance once again come Monday. Now, as we're taking a look at uh, what's happened here today, well, we, we had the meeting. We ended up seeing, uh, well, what ha- I don't know what happened. I mean, the president actually said that it was constructive. And uh, Nancy Pelosi kind of said it was constructive. Chuck Schumer is, uh, <laughs> I don't know, Chuck, Chuck is going to Chuck right now. I don't, I don't know what he's doing. And, and I don't know what's going to happen this week. And the president did say that he, he ordered the vice president and other top government officials to, uh, you know, meet with, meet with Democrats and, uh, you know, see about next steps to potentially take a look at a resolution to the partial government shutdown. But as we are two weeks in, again, has the impact of this partial government shutdown been something that's changed your life? Now, I know for some people the answer is yes. Uh, Believe me, every federal government employee that has been anywhere near a broadcast that I've been part of over the past couple of days has let me know loud and clear uh, just how vile and, and awful I am for suggesting that it's ever acceptable, ever acceptable for, uh, you know, a, a furloughed employee to, to face adversity. How dare I suggest that, uh, you know, some people in the federal government might not be necessary. But and I'm sorry, this is the real world, the real world. The real world where every day people are faced with adversity. The real world where every day businesses do go bankrupt. Even in the best economy in a generation, it happens. Every day people will be laid off, not having those guarantees. But those people average making about $49,000 per year, not the $128,000 in total compensation that the average federal employee does. So I am not, I am not going to be made to feel guilty. Now, when it comes to essential government employees, that are working, they absolutely should be paid. I do not think that this is ideal. This is not necessarily sustainable as currently constructed. I don't think this is the best policy, but that's not the point. That's not the point. The point is, even with two weeks in of a quarter of the federal government on furlough, guess what? This country still runs pretty darn well, and most Americans don't feel it, which is a bigger point about how ridiculous and bloated our federal government has been. Now, I took a little time last night to lay out uh, a little detail here for a moment, which happened to be if we actually had a partial government shutdown, you know, Chuck Schumer is alleging that the president said this could go on for years. Now, uh, well, I don't know if he said that. I don't know if he means that. I seriously doubt it's going to happen. But if we did have, let's say, the partial government shutdown, a quarter approximately of the federal government uh, furloughed over the course of a year. We would run a a government surplus if the economy did not grow at all this year. Let's say that the economy went from growth of over 3% last year to nothing. 
no growth, we would run a surplus of approximately $200 billion with no growth this year just by having a quarter of the federal government furloughed. Now, that's worth something. That's worth something. It's worth something as we're taking a look at uh, Medicare and Social Security. They're going to be running insolvency. Uh, the Medicare insolvency, by the way, starts approximately eight years, according to the trustee. Social Security insolvency runs uh, the early 2030s. It, when, when people are faced with having their benefits cut year after year after year, the promises that they were made, the, the money that they paid, and then they get to it and they're finding out it's not going to be there for them the way that they have been promised. At that point, they probably would care about whether or not we are running deficits or, or surpluses in government uh, because what we do today is going to adversely affect those programs and many others over the long run. And, and see, that's also part of this bigger conversation, one in which it's not sustainable to continue to do what we're doing. And, and this is why I ask about the status quo government, and I will tell you that you are lying if you tell me that if you had to write checks for the federal government day in and day out when you get paid, you wouldn't think differently about how our government is run and just going back to the status quo, the bloated government, the way it is. If you had to personally write checks for the $15,200 that the average household pays for federal government employees every year, you're lying to me. You're bold-faced lying to me if you tell me you wouldn't think twice about what you're getting for that money. But because of federal withholding, you don't have to think about it, right? They take care of it for you. They confiscate the money, the federal government, before you get to see it. So it's all nice and tidy. But that is what this conversation that I'm having is about. What's real? Because it is your money. It is my money. This is our government, not a government in which we work for them. It's a government in which they're supposed to be working for us. We're a country of liberty. We're a country that was born free, and the government is simply there to do the basic things to allow us to be free and to be prosperous. What, what separates us from 80% of the world's population where they do have a government that tells them what they are going to be able to do and what they're not going to be able to do. It's the exact opposite. We just don't teach it in this country anymore. People have just been conditioned to the opposite. And I really do resent people feeling entitled, feeling entitled at the expense of others without any consideration for what it might be like in their lives. I illustrated the point yesterday by asking when the last time was that you had a federal government employee with an average compensation of $128,000 that was being asked about how they felt when Sally in Kentucky, who was laid off from her job but only made $49,000, how, how they felt. And if they felt guilty about earning the money that they were earning while she was getting laid off, from her local business, having earned much less but paying the taxes that uh, you know went, went to their compensation. It never happens that way, right? Instead, you will have the, the federal employees that are interviewed and, and the woe is me type of story to make you care. You will have the people that will you know, try to find the, the uh, whore at a national park, which also is a teachable moment in all this. 
because national parks are open. It's funny. I uh, ended up doing a story, a local story this morning about the Everglades. Everglades National Park is wide open. And, in fact, it's running just fine because people have been volunteering and making sure that, uh, you know, garbage is picked up, bathrooms are remaining clean and everything else. So you can go use Everglades National Park, same as before. Why? Because, again, when it comes to national parks, if this government works for us, aren't they our national parks as Americans, Right. Well, no, because uh, under the other partial government shutdowns, they were shut down. Oh, yeah, they, they were. But guess why? Well, because that was the choice of the Obama administration. They chose to. They, in fact, in, in many instances, they actually paid more to have security keep people out of national parks than it would have cost to simply have them remain open with the park rangers. Why? Well, because it was a priority of the Obama administration to make you feel it to deny access, to put the heat uh, on ending the the partial government shutdown and and getting back to status quo government. Under the Trump administration, it's different. Now, is it ideal? Not necessarily, because people are slobs. It's unfortunate that a lot of people are slobs, and a lot of people will go ahead and make a mess and and leave it there in nature. That just means that in some cases they're kind of crappy people. You should enjoy nature, and you should be responsible, and you should be cleaning up after yourself. But again, in this teachable moment, Those parks are ours. The federal government doesn't own it because we are the federal government as Americans. I mean, details, details. Again, all these are opportunities to be able to live, to be able to share, to be able to instruct the younger generation, your kids, and those around you that have minds that are at least somewhat open still. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd, love in. safe. That has always been our principle to honor the oath of office that we take to protect and defend our country and our constitution. We can do that best when government is open. We've made that clear to the president. You can actually hear Nancy Pelosi not believe what she's saying as she's saying it there. She's not even convinced of herself. (laughs) I'm saying this. But, I mean, even I don't buy what it – and here, again, is the the frustrating point about all this. If just the Democrats uh, that that voted for the wall funding in 2006, including Chuck Schumer and folks like Nancy, if just they voted for what they voted for, even the same dollar amount back in 2006, they voted for that today, we're not having this conversation. But, again, in the the mainstream media of which these people have gone in front – Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, they don't ask that question. They don't ask why they both said we needed funding for a border wall. Why they voted, and not just Chuck Schumer, but of course many other senators as well, none the least of which was Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, among others. Nobody actually ever pushes back, asks the question about why they voted for the funding then, why it was important then, and why it's not now. And, you know, people will ask, well, you say that, but, I mean, why didn't it get built? Well, there are a couple of reasons. One, when Barack Obama became president, he decided to put an end to construction of the border wall. But also, the wall that we have, the, the to the extent that we have it, well, that's been built over the course of time with some of these funding projects. See, it used not to be controversial. 
This was not a, a topic of, of conversation that was even controversial 12 years ago. And that is the, the classic illustration of how far left that party has gone, how far left Democrats have gone. 12 years ago, 12 years ago, Chuck Schumer and mainstream left Democrats voted for wall funding, spoke up on the need for the wall. Today, it is something that is a non-negotiable. $5 billion is worth the partial government shutdown to them. See, it's, it's always framed the, the same way because, again, you have the mainstream media that predictably will position things the way they want to. And how they want to is that they, the only answer to this is that uh, you know th- there must be compromise by Donald Trump, compromise by the Republicans, never asking the obvious question. Hold on. You guys all voted for more than $5 billion for border wall funding previously. So why is it that you can't do that again? Why is it that you felt it was important to have funding for a, a physical border at the southern border previously? And, and today it is so critically important to hold the partial government shutdown in place, not to have it. There is an answer to that question. But they won't go before the smattering, the, the handful, the few honest reporters out there who will ask them those questions. And they certainly aren't going to willfully admit to being lying hypocrites. There are many illustrations of how far left the Democrats have moved, but none more so than this, ironically, particular issue, because we had them on the record not all that long ago. And, you know, a lot of folks are talking about, oh, you know, you, you take a look at the Democratic Socialists and everything else of today. One of the, the important notes here is I don't believe that what you're seeing with Democratic Socialism started with Bernie Sanders, not by a long shot. We have had. The, the soul going on for both political parties for a while. If you take a look at, at what happened with Republicans and Democrats, it's different versions of the exact same thing. You had the Tea Party that, that popped up, and the Tea Party ended up having success, won the battle back in, in 2010 with the establishment Republicans. But then the establishment fought back and won as Mitt Romney ended up becoming the nominee for the Republicans in 2012. Uh, And then you ended up having a a fight back away from that. It ended up taking out John Boehner in the process. And the the party was still fighting within itself. The battle between the, the Tea Party wing and the establishment Republicans until what happened? Well, Republican voters had enough. And they said, screw it. And we're going to get somebody who doesn't play these games? We're going to go with Donald Trump. And Donald Trump smashed the whole dang thing and remade the party in his image. So what we have going on is actually a different version of the exact same thing. And it was not Bernie Sanders. It started with Occupy Wall Street, which came about why? Well, it's in, in the wake of actually everything that happened with the Tea Party movement and their success. And actually, the to the extent that you had the success of Bernie Sanders and the Democratic Socialist Wing, that goes back then. And if you take a look at the drift to the left, that's why it, it's not this overnight thing to where wake up one day and you're having to look right to see Nancy Pelosi of 12 years ago. This has been a gradual process. The question is, how does this story end? In the meantime, the most important thing is to be solid on principles and solid on facts. And the facts simply remain that we have border wall funding that they voted for, that if they voted for again, 
we're not having this conversation. It's their partial government shutdown. We finally have a president that has a spine and the courage of his convictions. I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. conservative voice the mark levin show dial in now 877-381-3811 as we near the third week of the trump shutdown the impacts on the american people are getting worse with each passing day nearly 400,000 federal workers have now been furloughed food safety inspectors vital to our health and safety are working without pay. I mean, it really is something, right? Have you noticed a significant impact in your daily life? Now, there are some individuals, especially if you are in the federal government and are furloughed, if you're part of that, you're going to feel it. But for the overwhelming majority of Americans, has anything at all in your life changed over the past two weeks? No, right? And listen to Chuck Schumer. But he lives in the world... That is the altered state of reality. That is the bloated federal government where it is dire. It is dire if the status quo doesn't maintain itself, right? It's, a, it's another instructive and teachable moment. Now, something that is real, you do have folks that are essential service, that are working without getting paid. And there are some real situations that, I, that are without a doubt unfortunate. And... The analogy I would make, small business owner, you probably haven't heard Chuck Schumer lamenting what it's like to be a, a struggling small business owner. Because what happens when, when you are a, uh, a small business owner? You have employees that you have to pay. You have bills that you have to pay. You have vendors that you have to pay. You have taxes that you have to pay, right? Those are non-negotiables. You've got no choice. So what happens what happens if by the time you get done paying all those non-negotiables, you don't have any money left? Guess who doesn't get paid? You, the small business owner. See, again, everything in, in this conversation, not animus that is geared towards federal government employees. But it's instructive because we so rarely see the status quo challenged within the federal government. Almost never happens. Right. So when it is two weeks of adversity, 
for the status quo in the federal government, it's dire. But for a fledgling small business owner, it could be years. And at the end of years of of struggling, paying all of those non-negotiables and maybe not even paying yourself, you might not even make it. There's no guarantee. But the federal government, by God, well, there is a guarantee that we're going to get our tax money, right? So even that analogy, the small business owner is just trying to make a go if it doesn't work because the government has something that we don't. (laughs) So, you know, that's all part of the teachable moment here. And it's the difference between someone like Chuck Schumer, who advocates for government, versus someone like Donald Trump, who advocates for the average American. See the difference? A little bit, huh? Let's go to Christine in San Antonio. Christine, go. Hello, how are you? Hey, doing great. Happy Friday. Yeah, you sound good. Happy Friday. Thank God it's Friday. Well, I, um, I wanted to... I guess debate just a little bit with you on some of this uh, negative talk about federal employees and the ones that are being furloughed, and then you compare them to small business owners and saying that, hey, federal employees eventually will get paid. Sometimes a, a small business owner doesn't. But you forgot to say how many federal employees, one, will probably go into those small businesses and purchase things or make their business thrive. Why? Because we have the money. Because we do have a paycheck, I'm going to go to small businesses and I'm going to keep them afloat. My business helps their profits so that they can continue to do it. Uh, you know, make make their business, make their living. And I, I don't mean, I, I, I really don't mean to, to, to be cynical about it, but I mean, is your case really that uh, the, the, it is the role of us to pay taxes, to pay government employees to so that they can go around and in turn patronize our businesses? Pay taxes. I pay taxes sure, on my paycheck. No question. What makes you think I don't pay taxes? Of course I never I suggested taxes. otherwise, but but your your economic argument, your economic argument is that by virtue of you having the money, which is correct, because you you have the the money that is paid to you by by the private citizens as well that the, that have to pay their taxes just as you have to pay your taxes. But your economic argument, as you uh, are impugning my my analogy to a small business owner, uh, for example, is that by virtue of you receiving your money and then turning around and patronizing the small business. That's how it's justified. Because that small business is going to charge me based upon the cost of living at the city that where they're established. Such as if you have a, a doggy daycare, you know, some places you're maybe will charge $20 a day, depending on the cost of living per city. If you're in Seattle, you're easy charging 35 to $40 a day just to take care of somebody's dog for just a day. That's not counting overnight. Now, as a federal employee, I want to go vacation. I'm going to take my dog to a reputable doggy daycare, and I'm going to pay, let's say, that $75 a night. That doggy daycare owner is going to continue to thrive. That's not patronizing. Christine, may God bless you. Uh, I hope you do have a wonderful weekend. I do not uh, resent you, by the way. I, I've tried to mention, I don't know how many times, but I've yet to find many federal employees that 
necessarily will want to hear on the level. It's just, oh, my gosh, how dare you impugn anything associated with, uh, you know, a, a federal employee. But I do not hold any animus towards you. But for you listening, and as well-intentioned as Christina is there, you now have a little bit of an idea of what I have been receiving <laughs> for the past couple of days. Every justification under the sun for a, a federal government employee receiving theirs no matter what at the expense of, of private citizens no matter what. Uh, let's go to Linda in Pennsylvania. Linda, go. I, um, I, I listened to that lady, and, and what I have to say is my son is being impacted by this, but... We discussed it yesterday. He's in the Coast Guard, and they are not getting paid. Right. And he is working, and he is worried about his men. Um, but we are able to help him. So we will get him past this. But I do not think that this is the shutdown caused by the president. I support him 150%. But I said to the call screener, I think the reasons, the way to get them back to work is to take the salaries away from the senators Amen. Congressman, and then we would solve this problem immediately. When their paychecks were impacted, we would we would be back to work. Thank you for your son's service. Uh, absolutely appreciate it. And your son is an example of the folks that are the true unfortunate victims at this point of the partial government shutdown. The people that are true essential services that are protecting us. And this is all part of the instructive point here. Remember, the only thing that our federal government is mandated to do, it's the only non-negotiable, according to our Constitution, it's the defense of this country and some basic infrastructure. That's it. And unfortunately, when you're talking about somebody in the Coast Guard, it's not getting paid. Same with some folks in the prison system and and, uh, some folks within the border. That, That is what's really at stake here. See, this whole border wall and, and the defense of the, the southern border, that should be the non-negotiable. According to our founding fathers, according to our Constitution, it is. But that is, uh, unfortunately, part of what's getting held hostage here. Now, as Linda was pointing out, doesn't necessarily mean that what the president is fighting for isn't worth it. Just as the Border Patrol has continued to advocate on behalf of the president winning. Because what's more important to the Border Patrol is that they have what they need, the tools and the resources. And in this case, the border wall funding that they've been asking for so they can do their job better. But, yeah, there are real consequences right now. I do worry about folks that have to struggle. And it's not as though I don't understand it. I mean, one of the, one of the most humbling circumstances and, and incredibly challenging circumstances in my career is being here in South Florida during the Great Recession. Uh, it, it was so tragic and so sad. I mean, the, the mortgage crisis, the housing crisis, unemployment that uh, reached about 12% in, in South Florida. I had regular stories from listeners of people that are reaching out to me. My background is in small business and, and financial analysis. I had people reaching out to me. I'm going to lose my home. Here's my circumstance. Is there something I can do? That was a near daily occurrence for a couple of years. Right? But that's real. And that's where, you know, and, and that's life. And, and sometimes you have to fight. Sometimes you have to face real adversity. Not two weeks worth of adversity, but real adversity to be able to get to a better place 
that is meaningful with long-term impact, right? And again, it's not animus towards federal government employees. Everybody takes it as an affront that, that seemingly is a federal government employee. It's not that. It's the principle of the matter. And adversity is life. And I'm sorry, but a lot of people have suffered outside of the federal government for a lot more than two weeks. And, and just to simply be made to feel guilty because we don't have status quo government, I'm sorry, not going to play that game. We have rare teachable moments in this country. This happens to be one of them. And I, for one, do not want the status quo. I, for one, want the president to fight for what is right. I, for one, want Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi to have to account for why they were willing to fund the southern border just 12 years ago, but they're not today. That's what I want. And I think it's reasonable to give the folks that are tasked with doing the job the resources that they're asking for. Let's go to Jim in California. Jim, go. Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking my phone call. Um, I'm a government employee. I'm being forced to work, which uh, I would go in regardless, um, uh, federal law enforcement. And uh, what I'd like to say is uh, I offer this up to all the other government employees that are being inconvenienced for not being paid for a couple of days. And, yeah, it's an inconvenience, and it makes you worry. It makes you concerned about Meeting, uh, meeting your ends, but uh, at the end of the day, I think it'd be fair to say that we're all going to get paid at some point. However, I would offer up to those people that are complaining about it, go explain to uh, Ronell Singh's family what a big inconvenience it is uh, not to get paid for a couple of days. Jim, th- thank you for your service. And, yeah, y- your point is pretty well il- illustrated. Um, it's funny how... Seemingly, that gets lost in the Nancy Pelosi shuffle about how we, we are for protecting the, the boy. It's always been a, a core principle, but um, it's not moral to have a wall unless it happens to be at my house to protect me from you. And it's funny how that works, isn't it? I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin'. morning. I didn't see my family when they woke up Christmas morning. Um, Come Saturday of next week, I will not receive a paycheck. And even though I'm not going to receive a paycheck, I 100% support this shutdown because it's that important. The American public has spoken. They want border security. And the only way that we can get border security is if we put the proper measures in place. And the wall is part of that. Oh, and who might that be? Oh, it's Brandon Judd. Who, who's that guy? Oh, he's the, the president of the National Border Patrol Council. Huh. So even though he and, and his constituents not getting paid, it's worth it. It's worth the fight. Why? Well, because they're the folks that are on the border. See, part of what's reprehensible in all of this, as I pointed out, that you had folks like Chuck Schumer and, and Nancy and company that were willing to support this willing to vote for funding even greater than the $5 billion that the president is asking for, uh, for the continuation of the border project. They were willing to do that uh, back in 2006. They are not willing to do it now. While the National Border Patrol is asking for it, because it's what's required, they feel, to do their job better. Because, as the former director of 
Ice pointed out, border walls work 100% of the time in reducing issues, 100% of the time. So the question then becomes, would, say, Nancy Pelosi, would Chuck Schumer, would they put their own family on that southern border and not give them the resources they asked for to do their job better, to protect us, to do do what they need to do and, and protect themselves more effectively as well? Would that change the equation any? Kind of like I, I like to ask the question about whether we might view the role of the federal government differently if we didn't have federal withholding and we actually had to write checks and actually think about the money that we are paying for the federal resources that theoretically we're receiving the, the benefits of, would it be the same? Or would we have more questions, regardless of politics, if we had to do it that way? Uh, a little food for thought. Let's go to Eric in Virginia. Eric, go. Hey, Brian, how you doing, man? Hey, all good. Hey, yeah, I, I work for, actually, I work for ICE on furloughed, and I was just listening to your conversation. I'm about as hard right as you can get, dude, and I'm all for the wall. The thing is, as you had mentioned, a stat from BEA earlier, and uh, that stat comes from furloughed employees. So I guess my point is, is, and I'm actually a statistician, and we deal with, you know, removal stats, arrest stats, detention stats, all the stats that they're talking about nowadays. So, I mean, you're not going to get stats like that or updated stats like that at all as long as we're off work. So that was my point. I mean, I'm not trying to discount the fact that I'm, I'm for the wall and I'm for really this furlough to, you know, get this done. But, I mean, you know, there is some value to, I guess, uh, what you would call um, employees that are furloughed. And I'm not suggesting otherwise. <laughs> there Now, in the case of the federal government, and, and Eric, uh, you might answer this question. I understand you're on the inside and this can be difficult. But do you think that there is waste and, and abuse in the federal government and that we actually could trim down the, the federal government? Yeah, I do, actually, because like I said, I'm like as bad as far right as you can get, and that's all there is to it. But what I'm trying, I guess my point is, is it's a little bit hypocritical to say you're quoting stats from employees <laughs> that are putting those stats together, and Hannity and Laura and, and Tucker, for that matter, they, everyone uses those stats, and they're coming from the federal federal government most of them well right because we we already paid for those stats right so when we're talking about it you know we have to have transparency in what we pay for through our our tax dollars so yeah we have those those stats that are available because it's what's already happened and what's already been paid for now at whatever point this might end and those employees return we'll have more stats but i will tell you that the role of the federal government in my view is certainly not to make sure that we have people that are putting out the latest stats on what the total compensation is for the the average federal government employee. I'm okay. I'm okay if I don't have that latest stat tomorrow. Um, I, I think it's a bit bigger issue if we don't have the security we need on our southern border. And just my two cents, but I appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Brian Mudd, and for the great one, Mark Levin. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
ones who actually patrol the border. We're the ones who actually see what is and what is not effective. And we're telling Congress this is, in fact, this is, in fact, effective. You know, who are these experts that you're that you're quoting that saying that that fences don't work? They're absolutely wrong. Um, It's proven. We know it. Happens to be Brandon Judd, the president, the National Border Patrol Council. What's the answer to that? Why is it, yet again, that uh, we haven't had Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi have to answer to, to that claim, to that charge, to, to that desire and need? Why is it that the Border Patrol, for the first time ever, endorsed not just the wall plan, but a presidential candidate? Because they felt it was that important. Talk a little bit about perception versus reality. Hey, it is uh, Brian Mutt, your friend in South Florida, host of the Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach, the Brian Mutt Show, WIOD in Miami. And it's always an honor and a pleasure to be here as a guest host for the great one, Mark Levin. And we are all in luck because guest host of Palooza ends tonight. On Monday, his brilliance is back with all of us. Now, when we take a look at perception and reality, the southern border here for a moment. So if your perception, your perception is that we do not need additional border fencing, walls, what have you, anything physical down there. How is it that you can just cast aside the reality that's espoused to you by the folks around the southern border that are actually there doing the job? How can anybody justify that one? See, if the perception is that it's not needed, would you personally feel different if that was your reality? You're the person down there. You probably have seen just a little taste of of some of what takes place. For example, projectiles coming across. And then, heaven forbid, they actually use tear gas, right? Then they have to deal with it. Uh, was Was that overly aggressive? Uh, it's very easy for somebody who's in a newsroom in New York to, to question, isn't it? But what would the reality be if that person was not in a newsroom in New York, but rather was that Border Patrol agent that had stuff lobbed at him? Reality is a little bit different then. Talking about perception and reality. As I've been talking about this partial government shutdown, and the reality is, that our household, our average household cost for federal government employees is $15,200 per year. If we actually had to cut checks on paydays to the federal government to pay all the federal employees that uh, eat up that $15,200 per year, would we challenge the status quo? Would, our, would the reality of what we're paying for begin to set in? Would you feel differently about it? Would the status quo be okay? Or would you see the potential of that $15,000 to your family and go, wow, is this really the best use of my money? See, the, the perception is very easy to just go along with status quo government until the reality sets in. Now, because the federal government has done its level best over generations to reverse the course, protecting itself, protecting the status quo, with federal withholding being right at the top of the list. So you, you don't see it. We, we just 
take it from you. And, and you're, you're so fortunate to get to keep what you earned, even though it's the exact opposite. Federal government doesn't have a dollar until we've earned it, and then we pay it to the federal government. But would the reality be different? See, I, I still, even with yesterday's question, when I asked, would you, would you rather have $3,800 this year or an end to the partial government shutdown? Would you write personally a check for $3,800 to end the partial government shutdown? Because that's the savings. That's the savings per household if this were just to go on in perpetuity, which, again, is not good governance. Every time I put out something like that, somebody says, well, it's not right, and then we can't go. I'm not saying this is the right way to go about it. I'm illustrating points. Yes, two weeks without a quarter of the federal government and, and the sun still rises and we have the best economy in the generation, oh, by the way. But the broader point is we do not need anywhere near as much government as we have. And if we were actually tasked with having to pay for it on an ongoing basis and really think about what we're paying for, we would do it differently. I have no doubt we would do it differently. I have no doubt the liberals would do it differently. I have no doubt that if Nancy Pelosi and her family were on the southern border, in areas where there isn't any fencing, and they were tasked with having to apprehend whatever comes across that border, they might feel a little bit different about maybe providing some type of a physical barrier. Right? So here's more perception and reality for you. Some interesting information came out of the Pew Research Center on overall crime in this country. Just Conceptually for a moment, if I were to ask you if you think we have more or less crime, if we're more or less safe over, say, 25 years ago, what would you say generally in this country? If you think that we have more crime, well, that makes you normal. According to Pew, 68% of folks think that crime is actually rising. However, over the past 25 years, we've actually seen a decline. In fact, violent crime, violent crime down 49%. Property crime is actually down 50%. You see the difference in perception versus reality? One of the uh, concepts I've, I've talked about for a while, we are still somewhat trained, conditioned, and inclined to think that the mainstream news media has more influence than it actually does. And I will always remind you that if mainstream news media, which according to the Media Research Center, has been 91% negative in its coverage of the Trump administration right along. The mainstream news media had the kind of influence that at times we think it has. There, there's no way in ha- Hades that Donald Trump is president of the United States, right? So by virtue of him even being president, you know, you know, even though it might frustrate you, that they're not winning, that, that their influence is waning. But the most pervasive form of bias in news media is omission, the information that you don't receive, right? So where this all comes together and, and where this fits into the, the various different puzzle pieces here, when you are not presented with the reason why we are seeing crime come down, when you're not hearing that crime has come down, that is a form of bias in and of itself. Again, the Pew Research Center is not some kind of right-wing organization. You're going, wow, you know, crime stats are down. That's very interesting. What? So where I ended up doing the next layer of research into this, being in Florida, I pay attention to, obviously, everything that's going on in our state here. Last year, we received word that 
Crime reached a 47-year low in our state. 47-year low. This while, Florida had an all-time record number of gun owners. With a more concealed carry permit holders in Florida than any other state in the country. That surprises a lot of people, even Floridians. And when I ended up taking a, a deeper dive, you could actually take a look and, and connect the dots and see that the more legal gun owners you had in the state, the lower the crime rate, which actually coincided with other information. Other information like this, that the average concealed carry permit holder is 50% less likely to ever commit a crime than someone who doesn't own a gun. That's all part of bias in news media, omission of that type of information. Coincides with other information, going back to the Clinton administration, which found that there is far more, far more crime that is prevented by defensive use of firearms than ever committed with them. That also was backed up by research by multiple universities, including Florida State, in recent years. Once again, showing the defensive use of firearms prevents more crime than is ever caused by it. But what is put in front of you? Well, we do see that there are some really horrific events, really big, bad, awful events that kind of colors our perception. You might have something like what happened in Vegas, or we might have something like what happened at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, or Stoneman Douglas in Broward County, Florida. Those types of things often color our imagination, and that is where we still have mainstream news media influence uh, that is coloring a picture that is also false. And part of the reason that I'm bringing this up, there was a piece of legislation proposed yesterday that not many people know about or, or paid attention to. It's gun control, and it came from none other than Senator Marco Rubio. And you're going, what's all this about? So every time you have a new Congress, all the pending legislation from a previous Congress, that is dead. That bill on Capitol Hill from Schoolhouse Rock, he was part of the top 2%. Only 2% of proposed legislation ever passes into becoming law. And literally, uh, an average of more than 10,000 bills die when with each new Congress that comes into session. In the wake of the shooting in Stoneman Douglas in Florida last year, Marco Rubio proposed some reforms that became part of comprehensive gun control here in Florida. And it went nowhere. The very first thing he decided to do in the new Congress was propose it yet again. Now, here's something to watch. Whatever you happen to think of it, yay or nay. We tend to, also through perception and reality, think that everything is necessarily partisan. For example, any type of gun control or reform is necessarily something that Republicans don't want and, and necessarily something that Democrats do want and, and the like. But uh, somewhere along the line, there, there can be a level of pragmatism that enters the equation. And this is where Florida is a little bit anomalous this way. Florida did pass comprehensive gun control reform last year. And it happened to be a reform that as a proud supporter of the Second Amendment and a gun owner, I generally supported And it happened to pass with a completely Republican-controlled state government here in Florida. Happened to be signed into law by our Republican governor, Rick Scott, who happens to be the incoming junior senator from Florida. So as Marco Rubio proposed this, 
as you have Rick Scott, that is going to be another senator from Florida who actually helped install it and make it happen. One of the things you're likely to see play out is some type of reform here. Now, you might be aware that President Trump ended up using his pen to sign out uh, through executive action bump stocks. He has also indicated that he could be open to some type of reform. Obviously, Democrats, if they are serious about any types of reform in the system, might get behind this in the House. There are actually two types of legislation, two, two directions, that might have a better chance, a better chance of passing in this new divided Congress than previously. You might not like it, but this happens to be one of them. Potentially, this gun control, the Florida-style reform that could take place federally. The other happens to be on infrastructure, which, of course, is something that President Trump ran on, but Republicans didn't want to fund through additional debt spending, but Democrats have been supportive of. So just a little bit of information to kind of put in some of the perceptions of the reality, then also some of what's going on and some of what you're likely to hear about, about the time that perhaps this partial government shutdown does come to an end. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mark Lovin. is a dangerous, horrible disaster. We've done a great job, but you can't really do the kind of job we have to do unless you have a major, powerful barrier. And that's what we're going to have to have. The folks who put their lives on the line to uh, protect us, whether it's uh, at the southern border, part of the Border Patrol, or the folks who put on the badge and go to work every day, leaving their families. Uh, what happened over the past year it cannot happen again i do a uh, weekly series my uh, local shows in in south florida uh, protecting the palm beaches protecting south florida and highlight some of the stories of local law enforcement that do incredible work that never receive positive attention otherwise for it but also try to paint the picture of what's real in terms of the the sacrifice and the risk we all know that if there is a bad cop story it's played up and you know it, it gains a lot of attention out of news coverage, but you don't hear the heroic actions that are taking place each and every day. You also don't often have the really unfortunate risk associated with the job often discussed either. And so often police officers, law enforcement framed as, as what? Well, you know, the, the people, the badge, not looked at as the people, the families, right? Last year, we lost 148 police officers in the line of duty. 148. That was up 16%, or 20 more officers than the year before. It's getting worse, getting more dangerous for the folks in the law enforcement. We had 92 widows. 92 widows of those officers. Over 100 children who lost a parent. That's what's real. The average age of a fallen officer is 41. So any way you look at it, last year was unacceptable. You actually had a really great piece that was put out about a week ago by the Boston Herald. They call it was entitled, Let 2019 Be a Safer Year for Police Officers. Quick little excerpt from it. it. said, as we close out 2018, let's hope that 2019 is a safer year for our men and women in blue 
144 police officers were killed in the line of duty this year. And for the first time in decades, the leading cause was shootings. Yeah, the, the leading cause of death, and it, the final number is actually 148. It's even higher. Number one cause of death, murdering of our police officers. It is more important now than at any time previous. And we not only provide the folks with the resources they need to do the job effectively, but it's important that we let our law enforcement folks know that we support them, that we appreciate them. And in my experience, often you need to let the families know more than the police officers themselves. Most cops I know, good guys that feel like uh, they're doing what they're born to do. Families, they're the ones that you have to worry about back home. Something that you can do to educate your kids. Our Police by Jack Levin. 30% off right now, Amazon.com. A wonderful book to provide great perspective for the next generation. I'm Brian Mutt, and for the great one, Mark Levin. Levin, simply the smartest man on radio. And you can call him 877-381-3811. How do you define progress in a meeting? Uh, when you have uh, a under, better understanding of each other's position, when you eliminate some possibilities, if that's a judgment, then that's, we made some progress. Oh, yeah, the San Franciscan treat. Aren't you glad that we get to hear more of her again? Whew, missed progress, progress? What's progress in a meeting? Pro- progress in a, a progress in a meeting? Oh man. Whew. Thank you for having more of that in our lives again. All right, now a couple things uh, about progress. Progress can be defined many ways. For example, the economy we have that's the best in a generation, that would that would be progress. Actually having less crime because we've got law enforcement that's doing a really good job and the president that is serious about cracking down on illegal immigration. That that would be progress. That would be progress. Uh, and uh, you know you know what else would be progress? Progress would be if we had accountability to us the taxpayers by our federal government. That would be progress, right? Rather than the status quo. You know what progress is? Progress is actually having a president of the United States who runs on various different positions and then actually follows through and is willing to hold the line on those positions. That's progress. That's progress. And we actually we have those those things taking place right now. So, uh, you know, uh, once again, you, you can. Take a look at perception. Take a look at reality. And uh, on one hand, we do have to deal with Nancy Pelosi. On the other hand, well, Donald Trump is still president of the United States. And with the economy doing as well as it is, he is in a winning position. Let's go to Wade in Florence, South Carolina. Wade, go. Hey, Brian. I want to thank the great one for having the wisdom to have you replace him while he takes a much-needed break. God bless you. uh, I, I want to thank uh, Live 95 for having this uh, great program in here in eastern South Carolina. And uh, it did have a couple of things I wanted to talk with you about. Um, there's been a couple of numbers I've heard thrown around uh, the last couple of days. Um, I've heard 380,000 non-essential. I've heard 800,000 federal employees 
furlough, you know, laid off. And and I think by listening to your show tonight, I've got a couple of the answers. Uh, I didn't realize the Coast Guard or our Border uh, Patrol was affected by this. Um, yep. So I would imagine, the, in my mind, they're essential. But I guess the 380,000 non-essentials are, you know, not considered Coast Guard or Border Patrol. Is that right? Yeah, so there are a couple things that you have. Anything that is considered national security, they can be ordered uh, to go ahead and report, and, and they are working, and they will not be paid until their situation is resolved. And, and one of the, the issues that comes into play, well, why is that if they're essential? Well, because if money was not allocated to their department, uh, there isn't a way to take from another department and just give it to them. That requires an act of Congress. It's like with the border wall funding. A lot of people, when President Trump was, was talking about, well, we're going to have the military do it. In theory, that's a really cool idea, uh, especially since he had you know, the military at the southern border. It sounded more theoretical when they weren't down there. But then when, when we did have the, the military at the southern border to assist the Border Patrol to deal with the caravan situation, well, the, the problem as to why you couldn't take that next step to build the border wall with the military so that the money wasn't allocated by Congress. And the president doesn't have the ability. Congress allocates the the funding. Uh, So he can't just take from one department and, boom, give it to another. In in that case, build the border wall, for example, which is why he's actually talking about a national emergency that would then perhaps provide the funding that could allow the border wall to be built. That will be something to watch. Is, Is that somewhat helpful? Yeah, but also um, I wonder, you know, what business in this country, if they had 380,000 non-essential, I'm not talking about the Coast Guard or the Border Patrol. In my mind, they are essential, and they're probably what the remainder of the 800,000 number I hear thrown around. But the 380,000 non-essential, what business, what business could justify having a number of non-essential people? I mean, if they're non-essential, uh, why do we have them? <laughs> Is, is what I'm saying. Oh, boy. Now you're just starting to make some sense, Wade. And, and these are the greater questions. And, and this is why I've been using this as a teachable moment. As I continue to receive uh, very nasty notes from federal employees who, who say, stop hating on federal employees and you're an awful person because I work hard and, and I deserve the money and I'm well-educated. I, I never suggested that you weren't because you worked for the federal government. Uh, and I don't hold any animus towards rank-and-file government uh, employees. You know, you might be doing an, an essential job. You might be doing an effective job even if you're in a non-essential role. But the, that isn't the particular question here. The, the question is ultimately whether we have a really accountable federal government. And in the context of this partial government shutdown, would we do things differently? Would we do things differently if we actually had to see the money and pay out the money from our paychecks rather than having it withheld to fund all of the federal employees, to fund all of this federal government? It, it is a load of garbage to me. That we have 430 government agents. There are 430. I do not believe for 30 seconds that there is a single member of Congress who could even name half the federal agencies. Yet they have voted to fund them. Somewhere along the way, that should be something that we have a conversation about. Something that is accountable to us because there are consequences for this. Part of the problem right along is that... We have uh, – we just hear numbers, right? I mean the, the debt is $21.5 trillion and rising. But, but what does it mean to me? Well, in part because we don't teach civics. Uh, we don't teach government. In part because we don't teach economics well. People don't really realize that 
the interest rates they're paying on their credit cards right now are impacted by that debt. People don't realize that the mortgage payment that they are making is impacted by those rates. And one day, people are going to realize that Medicare and Social Security cuts are going to be impacted by that debt. It all has an impact. Some of it's already there now. Some of it will be felt later. But that is the question that should be dealt with uh, as we're talking about all these non-essential government employees. And as to kind of the larger point, uh, Wade, when you're talking about some of these numbers changing, some of what's happened there, you have more and more, as this goes deeper, more and more employees that are being furloughed. For example, I'll use the Smithsonian. Not essential employees there, right? But they had funding beyond the initial uh, range of the partial government shutdown to be able to keep it open until the first of the year with their employees. And, and then they ended up uh, running out of the money they had allocated. So as this does go along, the numbers do get bigger based upon some of the specifics with departments in the federal government. Let's go to John in California. John, go. Hey, Ed. Thank you. And if you could convince my buddy Dave, we spent our lives in California. I'd, I'd like to get out of California and go to Florida, but that's for <laughs> we, we could use more people like you because we typically just get the folks from New York and New Jersey, and then they bring their politics down here. And uh, like, what do you think you're going to get? I mean, albeit the, the great weather and the beaches are better than where you came from, but what do you think you're going to get if you continue to vote the same way you did up there? It is. We, we want the red values down there, but that's for another time. Hey, I, I took my family up to Reno uh, for New Year's and uh, went up there. It was like a third world country. Nobody spoke English. Uh, if there was ever a value to that wall, it was that night. Uh, got in the car New Year's Day, came back home, and we went through an agricultural inspection point where there were four agricultural, federal agricultural agents waving through every single car that they possibly could on time and a half. My, my opinion is 35 years between the military, law enforcement, now I work for a, a branch of uh, uh, Health and Human Services, that's a microcosm of, of the abuse and waste that we have in this country. And I would rather shut down a, a guy, a banana bootleg, guy looking for banana bootleg than, than uh, you know, uh, uh, breach on that wall we need to build that wall shut it down baby we need to we need 20 more percent of that government shut down if we need to build the wall (laughs) uh you know god bless you and anybody who is successful professionally knows this to be true you are typically going to be as good as the people that you're surrounded by yes but also uh the ability for them to carry out their job right you can have the right people in the right places but if they don't have the resources to do their job effectively what is the result going to be at best it's going to be a result that is less than could be less than ideal so as we are talking about some of the examples you just lay out there with uh, you know government services that that we pay for that take place how is it in the context of some of these agencies some of these departments, some of these operations, we can prioritize that over providing the folks who protect our southern border with the resources they say they need to carry out their job effectively. Again, people make out the wall to be Donald Trump. Well, no. I mean, the wall was already there and under construction well before he was on the political scene. And you need not listen to Donald Trump. All you would actually need to do is what? Listen to the Border Patrol. But That's not the conversation, right? 
Yes, you might hear in conservative circles the Border Patrol folks saying, we need the wall. But you don't have those folks that are being bantied about in the mainstream media. Like, you know, where the, the dancing queen is, is the hero and you hear about the, the Green New Deal. It, the, the folks are on the southern border right now without the resources they say they need to do the job. But, I mean, come on. Acacia Cortez, she can dance, right? And come on about that Green Deal. That's kind of cool sounding. I mean, that's the, that's the priority. And, by the way, I mean, Nancy Pelosi is back. I mean, that's excitement. That's where the, the conversation is these days. Uh, let's go to Joe in Virginia. Joe, go. Yeah, hey, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. I, uh, I wanted to talk to you about the oath of office that over 100 representatives and senators took yesterday. Um, I was in the military for 26 years, and I took this same oath um, over uh, like seven or eight times. And I want to read it to you in a second or two. But um, I, I think that there's a point, uh, there's a couple of key points to be made about uh, what every, about the new representatives and senators uh, swore to yesterday. Let me just quickly read it. It's, it's a short thing. It says, I soundly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office upon which I am about to enter. I think that a case can be made that progressive liberals who put their hand in the air yesterday um, are not um, supporting and defending the Constitution of the United States. Um, And I think that, you know, when you look at uh, domestic enemies, and you look at foreign enemies, so, you know, like, like um, foreign enemies, you know, certainly we know who they are. Um, and you could say, um, you know, like in the early days, you know, England was a domestic enemy. You know, in modern days, you know, Russia, China, North Korea are, are excuse me, are foreign enemies. So who are foreign enemies today? You know, are, is, it, um, is it people who are trying to walk across our border who are trying to um, change our pursuit of happiness, our, our pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Or at a minimum, not willing to abide by our laws and respect our system of government. I, my, my question for you, though, Joe, when are you running for Congress? Oh, hey, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm very honored. I'm, I think that a very, very strong case could be made if you go back to the oath of office yeah. and you parse out those words I think the president could challenge this, and he could say, Chuck and Nancy, you aren't living up to your oath of office, and do you know what? That would dr- that would go straight to their heart. That well, would shudder. They would shudder over that. Because- Joe, uh, thank you for your service. I, I appreciate what you're saying. I completely agree with you. I actually referenced this, made the point yesterday. Uh, days like yesterday are extremely sad to me for that particular reason. Not that, you know, Democrats took control of the House of Representatives specifically. But it is disturbing to me to see all these new congressional representatives who are in and then have the very first action the, the, that they're taking be something that is contrary to that oath that they just took. Again, 82%, and this is being generous, 82% of the spending of our federal government is truly not essential, at least by virtue of the Constitution that you're speaking of. 
only about 18%. It's the only non-negotiable. It's the only thing that our federal government must do is protect us. That's it. Provide some basic infrastructure. That's it. And that they are not willing to do it. But heaven forbid we, we rock the status quo with the rest of the federal government. Yeah, it's reprehensible. I, I agree with you. You're right. But, and, and the but is what you, you know, it's the obvious. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin. She's going to go on a crusade and take down all the fences and walls across this country. I certainly hope not. I'm sure that uh, the people that have them around their homes, the institutions that have them, uh, whether it's the Vatican or anywhere else, are not going to be real happy with the fact that Nancy Pelosi is calling their uh, walls and their security immoral. It's never been immoral to protect people. I love me some Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She's just some kind of amazing. It is probably about in for... The great one, Mark LeBan. And, uh, yeah, 77 countries with border walls, 77, 62 of which have been added since 1990. And as has been pointed out by the former director of ICE, they are 100% effective in reducing crime. 100% effective in reducing illegal immigration. But, you know, hey, it's only 100%, only 77 countries. You know, what? in, in Nancy Pelosi's house. All right, so I want to leave you with something that is positive. Talked about at the onset of the show, what is real in this economy? Best economy in a generation. Best year-over-year increase in net take-home pay in 32 years. Record low unemployment rates for most, most demographics. Pretty much all minority demographics. But that's not the only thing. The American dream. Re- remember... The, the the reason why we, we had these socialist rise was, well, because capitalism just didn't work anymore. The American dream was dead, right? Hey, we, we could never grow the economy at 3% again, right? Well, it's a funny thing what happens when you make the economy great again. So a little more than a year into the first normal U.S. economy. Yes, normal economic growth is 3% plus. Barack Obama became the first president to serve a minimum of a year as president of the United States and not have a 3% growth economy in any single year. The average growth rate of 1.8%. So a little more than a year into a 3% plus growth economy. And guess what? Millennials are making more money at the same age as any generation in U.S. history, including $10,000 more than boomers. American Dream is live and well. Have a wonderful weekend. The Great One is back with you on Monday. It's been an honor and a pleasure filling in. I'm Brian Mudd. In for Mark Levin.